brought a Bible, go please to the book of Nahum, Nahum chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, don't panic, we'll have it on the screen here in just a moment. And if you want to look for it on your digital device, you may do so as well. Nahum is a minor prophet, it's a tiny little book toward the end of the Old Testament. And if you need to use a table of contents, by all means, do so this morning. Doesn't make you less of a Christian. Nahum is one of 12 little books at the end of your Old Testament. They are called the Minor Prophets because in comparison to the other prophets of the Old Testament, these prophets wrote small uh, contributions. Uh, they wrote just one or two chapters, most of them. So they're called the minor prophets up against the major prophets, which are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. However, their message is not minor. Their message is just as good and as powerful as the whole rest of Scripture. And this morning, I want to read one verse of Scripture, Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. As we begin a new sermon series this morning... Uh, preparing our hearts for Easter, the scripture says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. Can we read that together? Just read it off the screen there for a moment. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. How many of you know that the Lord is good? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the word of God, which is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you that it is bread to our spirit. And I ask you this morning to anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And I ask that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation as well. That as they hear the word, they might receive it into the fertile soil of their hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to begin a sermon series this morning entitled Good News. The word gospel, which I'm sure you have heard a few times, the word gospel comes from a Greek word evangelion, which you might have heard translated into Spanish as evangelio, or uh, sometimes we are called evangelicals. Have you ever wondered what that word is about? It's referring to the word in our English language, which we use as gospel, and that word means good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel, is good news. This church preaches the gospel, and we preach good news. I, I try every Sunday to bring to you the good news of God's love and grace for your life. God didn't call me to preach bad news. There's enough bad news in the world. Sometimes we get tired of turning on the television and there's news of another shooting on a public school campus or college, another bombing around the world where children lost their lives. We read uh, the terrible news from time to time about economic woes or job losses or the closing of major companies. And it's a lot of bad news in our world, but the gospel is good news. The message of the, of the Bible is a, a message that brings hope, a message that brings a sense of excitement about what is to come 
for those who trust and fear God. And this morning as I begin this sermon series discussing the good news of the gospel, I want you to be thinking about our, our path toward Easter, which will be here in just a couple of weeks. We prepare to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Easter is good news. That the celebration of Easter Sunday, the, the, the resurrection Sunday, is not a myth or a legend, but it is the celebration of the fact that God's son was dead and buried and he rose from the dead with power and with life for all those who will believe in him. Say amen, somebody. And so this morning I want to talk about the God of the good news. Who is the one who has originated this message? Who is it that has originated this hopeful message of of expectation and, and joy for those who will trust in God. This morning, I want to share with you about the God of the good news. And Nahum here shares with us this simple fact. He said, the Lord is good. Say that with me this morning. The Lord is good. That sounded so good, we should say it again. The Lord is good. That's a fact it's one of the attributes of God. The attributes of God describe God's character. Many times you hear the word, uh, something like, the Lord is holy. Or the Lord is righteous. Or God is love. Or God is merciful. All of these are descriptions of God's character. And this morning I want to bring to your mind one of the attributes of God, one of the descriptions of his character, which tells us that God is good. Now, when we unpack that, we need to understand this, first of all, that it doesn't just mean that God does good. It doesn't just mean that God does good things. He does do good things. But really, what, the, what this phrase is expressing is the fact that God in His nature, God in His essence, God in His being is the very nature of good. Everything good in life comes from God. God is the source of every good thing. God is the source of every blessing. And he is so good that it rains on the just and the unjust. He blesses good as well as bad people because his goodness is just so overflowing that you and I being Christians can enjoy enchiladas and pagans can too because God is good. And his goodness is in everything that he does. And his goodness has been poured out and is expressed to us in his word and in his actions toward our life. What does this mean then? It means that everything that God does, everything God is, is good. He is good in his very essence. He is the beginning of all goodness. If you were to take all the goodness in the world, Every good act, every money, all the money you, you ever gave to charity, all the good that's ever been done for the orphans around the world, all the meals that have been fed to those who are hungry. You take all of the goodness that is in the world and you put it in a bucket. It would be a drop in the bucket compared to the ocean of the goodness of God. What am I telling you this morning? I'm telling you that you and I will never exhaust the goodness of God. This means that God's decisions are good. When God makes a decision, sometimes God's decrees and decisions are at odds with the will of man. But his decisions are always good. That means when God decides not to do something that you're asking him to do, that he's good in doing that. 
You say, but pastor, I really wanted that thing. I really had to have it, but God said no. Maybe God knew that if he gave it to you, it wouldn't do you any good. That it might corrupt your soul or your spirit. And so he denied it to you. And, and you have to understand that when God makes a decision like that, it is because he is good. It is because he wants to bring blessing and goodness into your life. God is good in his creation. When he made the world, he created it in goodness. The Bible said that on the first day of creation, when he had created the, 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 the light and he had separated it from the darkness, that he said, this is good. And then every day thereafter, after creation, the second day, the third day, the fourth and the fifth day, he said, this is good. But on the sixth day, when he created man, the Bible said that God stood up and he looked at the man that he had created and he said, this is very good. When God made mankind, he made it very good. He made it awesome. You know, he made it outstanding. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you are very good. Oh, that, that sounded so good. You are all smiling now all of a sudden. Everybody's smiling now. That compliment helped, didn't it? Kind of lifted your spirit. Why are you very good? Because you were made by God. Created in his image. So when you look at yourself in the mirror, you ought to smile and say, Lord, you outdid yourself. And if you don't believe it, go look at a picture of when you were younger and say, Lord, you outdid yourself. Everything he created was good. His laws are good. When God sets laws and boundaries around our lives, they're good. God has put laws around what we eat and what we uh, drink. He's put laws around uh, who we marry and who we don't marry, around sexual behavior. He's put laws and boundaries around those things in order to keep us in his goodness. Our world right now is contradicting the very laws of God. It's contradicting the very laws that he has set in place. And when we're doing that, we're contradicting the goodness that he has established. God is good in his providence. He's good in the ways that he shows up in our lives to prove to us that he is there, that he is responsible, that he is powerful, and that he is able. The Bible tells us about a God who is so good that he even shows goodness to his creatures, to the creation, to the birds of the air and the, and the, and the uh, creeping things in the sea. The Bible says in Psalm 40, 145, verse 15 and 16, it says, The eyes of all wait upon the Lord, and because he gives to them their meat in due season, and he opens his hand to satisfy the desire of every living thing. Just like when you go to a goldfish pond and you're throwing uh, food into that pond and those fish have their mouth open. So the Bible says that, the, that all of the creatures of the world, they look to God because he is the one that supplies and meets every one of their needs. And you know, there's a raccoon that hangs out around these parts and finds my garbage can from time to time. And that garbage can has become a, a provision to that raccoon. It makes me have to clean up a whole lot of times. But can I just tell you that that raccoon, when he walks home, waddling a little heavier than before, he said, the Lord is good. And, and God provides for all of the animals and the creatures. The Bible says this, that a sparrow cannot fall from the sky without God's uh, notice 
A little sparrow, a little two-cent bird can't die without God noticing it. And Jesus said, if God cares for the sparrows, how much more will he not care for you? How much more does he not care for you and I who are his children? God is so good. God is so good, rich in his goodness. Psalm 136 Verse 25, it says that he giveth food. He gives food to all flesh. For he, his mercy endures forever. When you think about what he created in man, he's good to man too. He made man with, with five senses, the ability to enjoy his goodness. I want you to think about this. First of all, God created man with the ability to see. You realize God could have created the world in black and white. But instead he made it in brilliant colors. So that you, can, you and I could walk out and see the brilliance of a spring day, the green grass, the, the green trees, the blooming flowers, and say, God is good. So that we can look at a setting or a rising sun and see the array of colors around us across the sky and know that God is good. So that we can look at the tender uh, colors of a, of a baby's face and realize that there is a good God who made good things for us to enjoy. Not only that, but he made us with a sense of hearing. Imagine if God had made man without the ability to hear. Never having heard a, a preacher preach or a, a, uh, a singer sing. Or, or worse yet, never having heard your mama call you home for dinner. Or your daddy tell you that he loved you. But God made us in such a way so that we could hear the, the clearing of a throat. So that we could hear the cooing of a baby and the laughter of a child. And when we hear those things, we can say, the Lord, he is good and his mercy endureth forever. He made us with the ability to touch, to receive touch. So that you and I could feel an embrace or a pat on the back or a handshake. That you could feel the hand of your wife or your husband in your hand. He made you to enjoy his goodness even in the things that you touch. He made you to know the difference between hot and cold so that you wouldn't burn your hand in a fire. So God has revealed his goodness to us. He gave man the ability to smell. And most men, anyway, he gave the ability to smell. He didn't give me that one. But, you know, in spite of the fact that I can't smell, I can still say that God is good. But I have heard some of you say, ah, it smells like it's going to rain. And, and I think about how good God was that he put in the world the ability to smell so that you could tell when, when mama was baking some fresh bread or when there was some tamales on the stove or when some carne guisada was stewing. Can I just tell you today that God is good? Every time you have a bite of food and you savor it, you have to remember this ability to enjoy this came from God. God made it. God put it there. The ability to taste and to enjoy his goodness. God is good. Good to his creatures. He's good because the Bible said that his tender mercies are over all of his works. Everywhere you look, everything you look at, you see the fingerprints of the goodness of God. Now the greatest part about this is this. That God uh, has shown his goodness to us. That God has shown his goodness to us through his mercy. That, that we having been sinners, and although we are sinners and we're, we're separated from God because of sin, that God in his goodness has shown 
mercy to us. That is, in essence, the goodness of God. God, when Adam and Eve sinned, could have suspended all of his goodness. He could have taken all of the goodness out of their life and out of the world. The fact is that his mercy overcame his wrath. And he has provided blessing to those that did not deserve it. For the psalmist said that the Lord has not dealt with us according to our sins. Oh, friend, when I think about what our sins deserve, it makes me cringe and want to run in fear. When I think about the things that, that you and I deserve in our life for the offenses that we have committed against God, it is a terrible thing. For the Bible says this, that if one of us breaks even one of the commandments, that we have broken them all. To violate one of God's rules is to violate all of God's rules. That means that a little white lie can send us to hell. And you say, Pastor, I wish that's all I had done. I wish a little white lie was all there was against my account. But you see, all of us have done far more than that. And all of us deserve far more judgment than that. But this morning, I'm here to tell you there's good news. That God has not dealt with us as we deserve. He has not dealt with us according to our sin. For the psalmist says, because he is mindful that we are only dust. That we are simple and frail human creatures. And just as a Father has compassion on his children. So God the Father has had compassion upon us. And he has shown us his mercy. He's shown us his abundant loving kindness and his grace. For this, the Bible said that it is the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. Why? Because although we deserve death, he gave us life. Although we deserve disease, he gave us health. Although we deserve misery, he gave us joy. We deserve brokenness, but he gives us the restoration of our lives. The Lord is good. Someone shout hallelujah in the house of God this morning. The book of James, chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, Mercy rejoices over judgment. Oh, friend, can I just tell you that's good news this morning, that there is judgment with God, but mercy has rejoiced over judgment. Mercy has gotten the last word. Say amen, somebody. Let me just explain this to you real quick. God is just. God is holy. And God is going to judge the world. There's coming a day when every man and woman who's ever lived will stand before God in judgment. There's coming a day when we will have to give an account for every word we've spoken. Not just every deed we've done, but every single word we've spoken. And on that day, friend, the day of judgment, there will be no mercy anymore. It'll just be a day of wrath and of separation from God. But can I tell you that today, if you will receive the mercy of God, you can avoid that judgment and you can have the mercy and goodness of God in your life this very day. The Bible says this. The Bible said that whoever falls upon the rock will be crushed. But whoever the rock falls upon will be crushed to powder. What does that mean, preacher? It simply means this. God is that rock. God is that judge. His law and his word are that rock. And when you and I fall upon that rock back asking God for mercy, when we come to Jesus and we say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, and we fall upon that rock of his mercy, he breaks us. 
He breaks us of our habits. He breaks us of our sins. He breaks us of our, of our, of our ways of thinking and living. And he gives us a new life. He gives us a new hope. He gives us a new way of thinking, a new way of living. But the Bible says, if you wait and you reject the mercy of God, the day will come when the rock will fall on you. And when that rock falls on you, friend, you'll be, you'll be ground to powder. There will be such an exacting judgment. No one will be able to escape. It will be worse than any drill sergeant doing a, doing a room check. This will be the most particular of all judgments. And God will bring every man and woman to judgment on that day. But today, God says, my mercy is rejoicing over my judgment. Because I have sent to you a Savior. I have sent to you a Redeemer to rescue you from wrath and from judgment. And to give you hope and to give you peace with God. God demonstrated his goodness toward us by sending us his Son. By sending us Jesus Christ to save us. God demonstrated his goodness towards sinners. He demonstrated his goodness in our lives. First of all, Jesus took the judgment that our sins deserved upon himself. Isn't God good? I said, isn't God good? When you and I deserve judgment, Jesus said, I'll take that. We deserve death. Jesus said, I'll take that. We deserve separation from God. Jesus said, I'll take that. We deserve to be crushed to powder. But Jesus said, I'll take that. And he took upon himself the penalty of our sin, the judgment that we rightly deserve. And he took what we had, and he gave us what he had. We had sin. He took our sin. We had unrighteousness. He took our unrighteousness. We had bitterness and, dis and, and sadness. He took our bitterness and our sadness. But then he gave us what he had. He had righteousness and he made us righteous. He had holiness and he made us holy. He had wholeness and he made us whole. Come on, somebody. He had joy and he gave us joy unspeakable and full of glory. Somebody ought to thank God this morning. God has provided for us his son and that his son has given us in Christ every blessing, every good thing comes from God. The Bible says in, eight, in Romans 8 chapter 32, he did not even spare his own son but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? This is what God says. If I gave you my son, I gave you the treasures of heaven. What else will I deny you? What will I withhold from you? If I gave you my son, will I not with him freely give you everything? Do you want peace? There's peace in Jesus. Do you want joy? There's joy in Jesus. Do you want provision? There's provision in Jesus. It's all in Christ. And you see, friend, Jesus is the key to the goodness of God. If you want to enjoy the goodness of God in your life, you've got to come through Christ. Jesus is the way to the goodness of God. Jesus is the way for you and I to be able to enjoy all of the benefits that Jesus died for on the cross. But you see, outside of Christ, friend, you'll never enjoy those benefits. Outside of Christ, you'll never be able to have those things which God has so freely given to us. But in Christ, the Bible says that all of the promises of God are yes and are amen. That means that everything that Jesus died for on the cross is yours and mine if we will receive it by faith as an expression of the goodness 
of God. Now, how do we respond to this goodness? When you realize that God is good, there are some ways that you and I have to respond. Now, there are some ways that people respond which are not good. Some ways that are, that are wrong in our response to God. First of all, some people, when they hear that God is good, they respond with skepticism. And they say, I don't really know if God is good because there are a lot of bad things that have happened in my life. And they blame God for the things that have gone wrong in their life. They blame God for the storms they've been through and for the losses that they have had. And their circumstances began to seem in their mind to contradict the idea or the fact that God is good. But friend, can I tell you this? That what's wrong in the world is sin. And sin came as a rejection of God in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they sinned against His goodness. And when they sinned against His goodness, they unleashed into the world waves of, of evil and brokenness that have come into this world, that have come into our lives. You and I this morning have to be conscious and aware of this very fact that what's good in our life came from God. And if there's brokenness in your life, you've got to give it to God. If there's pain in your life, give it to God. If there's abuse in your life, give it to God. He's the one that can mend you and make you whole again. He's the one that can bring resolution to that problem and that burden that you bear. Jesus on one occasion said to those who were listening to him and accusing him, he said, do you look wrongly at me because I do you good? Jesus was calling them to account as he calls those in account today who want to blame God. He says, look, I have created a world for you that was full of goodness and of grace. And the only way for you to enjoy that world is for you to come to Jesus, my son. If you will come to Jesus, you can enjoy the fullness of the goodness of God. Now, there's still others that respond in a wrong way. And this is how they respond. They sin against the goodness of God because God is good to them, but they are ungrateful. You know, there are some people that pray like this, Lord, give me a wife. I've got to have a wife, Lord. Give me a wife, Lord. Please, Lord. Pastor, please help me pray. I want a wife. And there we are all praying and believing, right, for a wife. And then they march down the aisle. They get married. And then they're mistreating their wife. And they are beating on their wife. And I think, wait a minute, man. Why did you pray for a wife? Why did you ask God for this good thing? And then you want to mistreat her and act like she's nobody in your life. Come on, somebody. They're sinning. Against the goodness of God. Oh, then there's that other one on the other side. Lord, I got to have a husband. Lord, give me a man. I got to have a man, a good man. Lord, I got to have a man. Give me a husband. And then the Lord gives her a husband. And, and she don't want to cook any dinners. Oh, she doesn't want to be a part of his life. And, and, and she wants to act like she's single, although she's married. And, and you're sinning against the goodness of God. Is this, is this too hard this morning to hear? Some say, Lord, I got to have a bigger house, Lord. Give me a big house. I want a big house on a hill with a big yard with lots of grass. And then they get that house and they're pushing that lawnmower up that hill and they're cursing the hill and they're cursing the grass and say, I'm tired of mowing this lawn. I can't stand cleaning this big house. I can't, I can't stand this mortgage. And they are sinning against the goodness of God. 
You know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Resurrection Sunday. We're going to come in here and celebrate the whole purpose of Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet that morning, some people aren't going to come to church because they're going to be at the park grilling barbecue and fajitas. And they're going to be celebrating the chicken and the, and the fajitas. But can I tell you, chicken didn't save you. Fajitas didn't die for you. You've got to come to the house of God. Show gratitude to the God that saved you. Come on, somebody. They're sinning against the goodness of God. Oh, some people sin against the righteousness and the holiness of God. But it's so far easier and more egregious, I think, that we sin against the goodness of God. We say, Lord, I need more money. And he gives us more money and a better job. And we stop coming to the house of God. We stop coming to pray. We stop coming to seek his face. And you're sinning against the goodness of God. So you say, Pastor, how do I respond to this idea, this fact that the Lord is good? First of all, you have to respond with gratitude. The Bible says, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. And his mercy endureth forever. Come on, somebody. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he is good. Gratitude in your heart has to be the first and original response to the goodness of God. When I think about what I deserve, and I realize I deserve hell, but I'm going to heaven. I deserve death, but I'm not dead. I deserve sickness, but I'm whole. Come on, somebody. I've got to give God thanks. I've got to give him praise. I can't stand in church and, and just stand there like a bump on a log and say, well, I wonder when this service is going to be over. No, my hands can't help but go up. My mouth can't help but open because I've got to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And his mercy is enduring forever. The second response to the goodness of God ought to be repentance. When you and I realize how good God is, it ought to make us want to repent. For our sins. When I realize how good God is, I start confessing my sin to him and saying, Lord, I have sinned. I have failed you. I've missed the mark. Today, I said things I shouldn't have said or thought things I shouldn't have thought. And every day when you do that, you live a clean life. I said you live a clean life. You want to live a clean life? Wake up every morning thanking God. And wake up and go to bed every morning thanking God and repenting of your sins that day and telling him, Lord, if I messed up today, I repent. I'm not going to do that again. I don't want to live that way. And when you live that kind of life, friend, you live in peace. You live clean. You see, you got to get up in the morning with a thank you, Lord, in your mouth. And you got to go to bed at night thanking God with gratitude in your heart. And a clean heart that says, God, I want to live right before you. I don't want anything between God and me. I don't want anything between my soul and my Savior. I want to be right with God. You know, I know some of you, like my dad, you get out of bed and you're grunting. Ah. But once you're done grunting, thank the Lord and get ready for that day. And go into that day saying, God is good and it's going to be a good day because God is on my side. And if God be for me, then who can be against me? You live that life of gratitude and that life of repentance before God. You say, preacher, I repented 15 years ago. Went down to the altar, gave my life to Christ. Good friend. I'm glad you did that. 
But you've got to repent every day and go before God and just let him cleanse you. Let him wash you. You know, sometimes that people hear there's a prophet coming to church and say, I'm not going to go to church because there's sin in my life, and I don't want that prophet busting me in front of everybody. But you know what you do before you come in the doors of that of that of the church? You just say, Lord, forgive me. If there's anything in here between you and me, don't tell him. Let's just deal with that right now. And you know what? Jesus will wash you, and he'll cleanse you, and he'll make you whole. Come on, somebody. This is the goodness. I said it's the goodness of God. The mercy of God. Unfortunately, many times when they get away with it, they think, oh, I got away with it. It was an act of God's mercy, but they think I got away with it. And they end up going further and further into darkness and into sin. Repent. Acknowledge your sin before God. Let him wash you, cleanse you, so you can walk in the full measure of his goodness. Finally, there's a response all of us need to have to the goodness of God. And Nahum reveals it right here. He said, the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. Who take refuge in him. The third response you and I must have to the goodness of God is to trust him. You know, when you know that God is good, you can trust him. But many times people have a, a skepticism, as I've said, toward God, and they don't trust him. They have this idea that if it's going to get done, I've got to do it myself. If it's going to get fixed, I'm going to fix it myself. Have you ever made a problem worse by fixing it? Yeah, that's going to happen all the time. You've got to let God handle that. You've got to get, let God deal with it. Let God be the fixer in your life. But you and I have to learn to trust him. What does it mean? It means that we trust in his character. We trust in his nature. We trust the fact that God is good. You realize, friend, that sometimes your circumstances are not good. But your circumstances do not change the fact that God is good. You might go through hard times, but that doesn't mean that God is not good. That God is not in control. He never said he never promised that you wouldn't go through hard times. He never said or promised that you wouldn't have troubles or afflictions in your life. He never said, I'm, I'm going to keep you out of every storm. What he did say was this. When you go through the fire, the fire will not burn you. And when you walk through the water, the water will not drown you. Because I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. Come on, somebody ought to thank God because he is good and he is present. You can trust him. You can trust him with your whole life. When I was in missions, often in our missionary training, and when we took a team uh, onto the mission field, we took a couple of days to train everybody so they get to know each other so we could work well together. And one of the things we would do is we would have a trust fall. And I'm sure you guys have done this from time to time. We'd have them stand up on a, on a, on a stack of uh, pallets about four feet tall. And then we would all stand behind them and say, all right, fall backwards. And you had to, you had to really trust the team, didn't you? Because if not, you're going to fall backwards a whole long time. And then you're going to hit the ground. And that's what you and I have to do daily is just fall backwards on God and let him catch you. Let him hold you. Let him give you the assurance that he is in control, that he's God, 
and there is no other. The Lord is good. A stronghold, a place of refuge in the day of trouble. And he knows all those who trust in him. You know, if you trust God, God knows who you are. Is there anybody in here that trusts God? Raise your hand if you trust God. Guess what? God knows who you are. If you and I go to the White House, we knock on the door, President Trump's going to say, I don't know them. I don't know if they voted for me or not. But when you and I go to the gate of heaven, if you trust God, God says, let them in. That's my boy. That's my girl. I know them. I know who they are because they put their trust in me. And the Bible said that no one who ever trusted in God was put to shame. What does that mean? That means no one who ever trusted in God will be embarrassed for trusting in him. You might have trusted in some friends. They said, lend me some money, I'll pay on Friday. Friday was two years ago, hasn't happened yet. And now when they ask you for 20 bucks, you say, no way, Jose. You burned me once. But now you think God's going to burn you. God's not going to burn you. If God wanted to burn us, he would have burned us already. God's not going to burn you. You can trust him. You can depend on him. You can wait on him. He may not do it the way you plan, but he will do it. You may not do it the way you want it, but he will do it. He may not come through at the exact time that you want it, but before it's too late, God will show up and God will show off in your life. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. The Lord is good. And he knows all of those who trust him. I want to be known in heaven this morning. I want to have a reputation in heaven that says that man believes God. I want you to have that same reputation that says that man, that woman, trusts in God. That's what's so good about the good news is that there's a good God who has sent his son to die for your sins. And if you will trust in him, he'll give you eternal life. And that the goodness of God does not reach to just forgiving you of your sin, but it reaches into bringing you into the full blessing of God so that you can walk as his child when you trust in him. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. And I'm going to ask you to respond to the goodness of God. Listen, don't respond to the goodness of this service. Well, it was an okay service. It was an okay preaching. Don't respond to that. I want you to respond to the fact that the Lord is good. Now, there are three responses we should have this morning. First response is repentance. You say, Pastor Isaac, I want to give my life to God. I want to give my life to Christ. God hasn't treated me the way that my sins deserve. He's been merciful to me. But I don't want to miss it. I don't want to go to judgment. I want to find mercy this morning. If that's you, friend, the Bible said that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that you can be saved. The cross was for you. 
The blood was for you. And all the people in this room who you've heard shout and say amen, we can tell you this one thing. We're not perfect. We're not sinless. Our past is checkered and marked and broken. But God saves sinners. We know that from the depths of our heart. God loves sinners. And he loves broken people. And this morning he calls out to your heart and he says, will you put your trust in me as your Savior? Will you trust me as your Lord? And I'm going to ask you to respond to that invitation this morning because some, some of you may never have another chance. There may not be another day of decision. None of us knows what tomorrow is going to bring. And I don't want you to miss the opportunity to say yes to Christ this morning. So if you're out there and you say, Pastor Isaac, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to make things right with God. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right where you are if that's you. Anybody in the room that needs to make that decision, I see you there. Anybody else? It says, that's me, Pastor. You're talking about me this morning. Very well. Then I'm going to ask you, if you raised your hand, if you would come and stand with me at this altar. I'm going to have one of the elders or prayer team pray with you this morning. As they come, Brother Freeman, would you come and pray with him, please? I want to make this second invitation. Because there's three responses. The first one is repentance. The second response is gratitude. When you look at the goodness of God, you can respond and say, Lord, thank you. So if you have nothing more to do this morning, I want you to come into this altar and just thank him for what he's done, for what he's doing, and what he's going to do in your life. And the third response is trust. Maybe this morning you need to do a trust fall and just lean on God. And trust in him. Would you come and just fill this altar? Whatever one of those three responses are, you need to be in this altar. I believe every person in this house has had a revelation in their life of the goodness of God. Would you just come and give him thanks? Would you just come and give him praise? Maybe this morning you need to trust him. Maybe you've been carrying things around that you can't fix. This morning he said, leave it to me. Put it in my hands. I'll take care of it. You can trust him. He's a God on whom you can rely. Come on, just open your mouth and express your gratitude to God. Express your trust to the living God this morning. Your confidence.